Welcome to HSDF the Podcast, a collection of policy discussions on government technology and homeland security brought to you by the Homeland Security and Defense Forum. Today's program is the first in a three-part discussion on protecting U.S. supply chains, securing critical infrastructure, and creating a culture of cybersecurity in America. Featuring Tom Fanning, Chair, Cybersecurity Advisory Committee at CISA, Eric Goldstein, Executive Assistant Director of CISA's Cybersecurity Division, Bobby Stempfley, Vice President at Dell Technologies, and moderated by Luke McCormick, former CIO, Department of Homeland Security. This program was recorded in conjunction with the HSDF Policy Symposium, The Evolution of Federal Cybersecurity, on June 21, 2023. As I look across this panel of titans here, you know, we've got folks out of practice law, we've got folks that have been in and out of the government. We have folks that are CEOs. I believe two of them actually were CIOs at one point in time. And I know one of them has worked with CIOs quite a bit. So uh, I think if I looked far enough, I mean, maybe there's a heart surgeon in there somewhere. I'm not CIO sure. CIO stands for career is over. Yeah. No, 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 no. No. <laughs> but what I do want to say is uh, as I start with all my moderated sessions, as you all know, my public service announcement, which is uh, – if you have not considered public service, I urge you to do so because it tastes great. You don't have to do it for 20 years. You don't even have to do it for 10 years. But uh, chip in, and, uh, and I assure you uh, it'll be one of your proudest uh, moments. So I, I just want to point that out. You heard the, uh, the director earlier today talk about a lot of different cool ways that they're hiring folks, which I thought was uh, awesome, and you're going to hear – uh, one of our panelists talk about other ways to contribute as well, which I think is awesome. So with that, let me start with a couple of, uh, I guess we'll call them term statements that uh, that Jen sort of referenced uh, in some of her remarks, et cetera. And I thought it would uh, uh, be appropriate to sort of dig down a little bit, unpack that so the audience can completely understand that. And I want to start with, uh, with you, Eric, and talk about the... Uh, the national security strategy, cybersecurity strategy, right? And uh, there's a lot there. Uh, there was a lot of work that uh, was put together to create that. Trying to understand CISA's role in that. Uh, where do you all play in that strategy? Maybe how we're doing on the implementation, maybe even a little bit of an interim scorecard. Great. Um, first of all, uh, Luke, thanks for the question. It is a privilege to be on this panel uh, with with Bobby and Tom. Thank you for, for your work in advancing our nation's cybersecurity. So thank you to Russell Langevin for your work and Fridges the F for hosting this great event. Uh, the National Cybersecurity Strategy really is a fairly extraordinary moment in our nation's cybersecurity history. And you really can't say that about most cybersecurity strategies or strategies in general. Most strategies are a laundry list of things that could be done or some highfalutin principles where everybody nods and says, that sounds like some things that we should all do, and then everyone moves on. And this national cybersecurity strategy is different because it looks at the problem statement of cybersecurity, and it says, very frankly and candidly, the way that we are doing things isn't working. We are not getting the outcomes we seek from the model that we've been adopting. And we need a new model and a model that is based fundamentally on a rebalancing of accountability such that we need to have a clear-eyed view and be able to say a school district, a water utility, a local hospital, 
they are never going to be successful trying to combat the cyber threats that we are seeing today alone. And so we need government to do more. We need government to enable persistent, frictionless collaboration at scale, which we are trying to accomplish at CISA through our Joint Cyber Defense Collaborative. And we need tech providers to do more, to move to a universe where the technology that we are all using for our functions of everyday life across every sector are safe and secure by design and default, such that we move to a future where we have fewer exploitable conditions in the products we're using, and we have strong security controls and features out of the box so that if I'm that school district, if I'm that water utility, I can depend upon the technology that I'm using in a way that for many products, frankly, is hard today. But the great part about this model and getting at Luke's question of where we are in the early days of execution, there's real unanimity around this model. If you talk to big tech companies, they all say universally, well, we want to provide more secure tech. And if you talk to enterprises, they all say, we want to buy more secure tech. And so we see one really important role of CISA as being the technocratic intermediary between these two sides of the market to say, let's all get together in a voluntary market-driven way and say, what do we think are the characteristics of a product that's safe and secure by design and default. We released the first chapter of this work uh, in April, a product that was joint sealed by CISA, FBI, NSA, uh, and six other countries around the world. We're going to release the next iteration of that guidance, ideally later this summer, bringing in robust industry feedback and ideally many more international seals. But we think that even though the strategy calls for a future, a potential software liability, new regulations, be that as it may, we don't have to wait for that future. We can act today. And so CISA is trying to bring together like-minded organizations in the research community, tech providers, enterprises to say, let's all agree upon what good enough fit for purpose looks like, and let's drive that across the market and make progress even where we are today. Tom, <laughs> would you like to comment on that? Yeah, sure. A little bit of input, and then I'll go over to you, Bobby. Sure. Uh, Eric does a terrific job, and I work with him a lot. Um, And by the way, if I may, when did this thing get uh, signed? Well, goodness, the exact date at that. Well, I mean, it's it's it's, on the spot. Yeah, it's it's it's, a few months ago, March, right? Yeah, a few months ago. I mean, this this isn't hasn't been in place for two years, so a lot of uh, a lot of traction in a short amount of time. Absolutely. I want to just back up a little bit. Jim Langevin, a hero of mine, uh, is here. Um, What a terrific guy, great leader, patriot in America. Um, I led the Electricity Subsector Coordinating Council for about eight years. And very early on, I realized that uh, we couldn't operate in a silo, that the economy of the United States was interdependent from sector to sector. So I started wandering around looking for like-minded people. We created something called Dinners Across America. I was really trying to find people that had the same kind of view I did. Out of that, we created something called the Tri-Sector Group. We found very quickly from an electricity standpoint that finance was absolutely dependent on what we did, and we were dependent upon comms. And so we brought together people. Michelle Guido here helps guide the Tri-Sector Group, and that is going to be increasingly important as we go forward from a private sector standpoint. But then I ran into a guy named Chris Inglis, and we all know what happened to Chris, uh, National Cyber Director. 
Ultimately, uh, the government put together something called the Cyberspace Solarium Commission. So Langevin uh, was on that. It was chaired, I guess, Mike Gallagher and Angus King. I was on that. Inglis was on that and a variety of other brilliant people, Suzanne Spaulding and others. And I think for the first time, as I walked the halls of Congress and as I was wandering around America trying to find people of like mind, everybody realizes that this issue of national security takes on a completely new meaning that I think the things that Eric was talking about is the operational point of the spear. In the original Solarium Commission put together by Eisenhower, it was post-World War II, and the imagination of conflict was, here's the Soviet Union to my right as I look at a map, and here's the emergence of NATO on my left, and the conflict was effectively a tank battle on the plains of Poland. Today, we all know that that conflict is on our telecom systems, our financial systems, our electricity grid. And it's not a war that we can depend on the federal government fighting for us anymore. 87% roughly of the critical infrastructure in America is owned by the private sector. And I know uh, early on, I think people looked at kind of the things I was saying, that the private sector has an obligation, not an option, to collaborate, not cooperate, with the federal government in order to protect America from that bad day, that existential threat. And that's where guys like Eric come to play. I think the kind of things he does, as he was enumerating, the most important thing he can do in my language from the private sector, it is this. I can work with now the intelligence community, the sector risk management agencies, the convening power that CISA has, and we can illuminate the battlefield in real time as an aspiration. And in illuminating the battlefield, I can start to take steps to where I can anticipate where the puck may be, not where it is. And also now, if America gets hit, which one day it might, I now have a rational way, an integrated response to that bad day, which we haven't had before. A real operationalization of continuity of the economy. And so as I think back about it, and it just reacting to what Eric said, it was ideation, it was the creation of policy through the Cyberspace Solarium Commission. Something like 70, 75% of those recommendations are now in law. And what I would say to complement politics, which you don't do much in this town, <laughs> everybody on Capitol Hill realizes this is an enormous issue. They had no idea how to attack it. I would say now we had a playbook. And what we're doing now, what Eric does broadly at CISA, is we are operationalizing the playbook. And we're proud. One of the big things I'm working on is this idea of creating architecture, something that will be sustaining uh, from the private sector co to collaborate. So that's my first reaction. What, um, what was the timeline of the, uh, the commission, just so people sort of get context of that? When was that started? When did you sort of wrap that up, submit the recommendations, et cetera, just so people have I mean, an you understanding may know. of it? 18, 18 to 19. Yep. What are we, 23? Yeah, around 19 is when it got commissioned, and we came out with an initial report in 21, maybe, something like that. Uh, before we go over to Bobby, I'm going to go back to Eric for a minute because this has been brought up a couple, two or three times. JCDC, 
What is that? How does that work? Sort of give me a little bit on that so people have an understanding. It's been referenced. We'll talk about it again a little bit later in our conversation. Yeah, absolutely. The, the best way to think about JCDC, the Joint Cyber Defense Collaborative, is to frame it as the prior state, the current state, the future state. If we think about the state of public-private collaboration in government historically, it was episodic, it was ad hoc, it was one-to-one, it was high friction. It didn't scale to meet the pace, the tempo, the velocity of the threat. What we have tried to build, not just at CISA, but as part of the cybersecurity community, is a model, is a door, is a forum where we can bring together partners across sectors, across government, across the globe, and create an environment for persistent, frictionless, enduring engagement and collaboration. What that means in practice is every day having operators from companies, including uh, both both Tom and and Bobby's organizations, uh, working together around shared problems so that we don't need to wait for a crisis and then I I or a director get on the phone and call a CISO or a CIO and say, hey, we need somebody. We're already working together. Whether it is the latest ransomware campaign, whether it is a report of a new APT, we are already working together in shared channels that could be sectoral, that could be topical, that could be geographic. And in those channels, we have the right folks from across sectors, across government, including our partners at FBI, NSA, Cyber Command, the sector risk management agencies, and internationally, reaching out to our 150-plus international certs in the global community. But we know we also can't stop there because we know that a challenge we have in cybersecurity is we're always reactive. We're always responding to the latest, the latest zero day, the latest campaign. And we know that doesn't work enduringly. And so we've also tried to build this model of longer term planning, which frankly was the genesis of the Solarium Joint Cyber Planning Office, the JCPO, which is the idea to say we cannot spend all our time reacting. We have to plan. And so we have now developed a planning agenda with input from industry um, across government to say these are the biggest risks that we are going to plan against, design, execute, exercise, and then improve, and do that on an annual basis so that we are going to be able to drive down the risks that we care most about. I will also add, it's important to think about the JCDC, first of all, as an open tent, as an inclusive model, where really any organization with interest, with capability, uh, with who wants to invest, is able to engage in the way that makes sense for them. But also, one of the real innovations of this model is, at this point, all of the products, all of the advisors, all of the alerts that are coming out of CISA and our partner agencies are all, all benefit from enrichment and insight from the members of the JCDC. And so we are now really creating this corpus of knowledge that is derived from the best minds in our field, no matter what organization they work in. And then those products, those advisories are pushed out through the ISACs, through our trust groups to, to pollinate thousands of organizations across the country and across the world, making sure that we are benefiting not just those organizations that engage every day, but the broader community who needs to have the information that we're all working with. You know, and I would just add another big 
important entity inside CIS is the National Risk Management Center. Absolutely. So this is where private sector works with government to understand in a rigorous, systemic way what is the what are the most important risks. And as important, we got to think about if you just think about a supply chain, what are the first, second, and third derivative risks? How do we work together? If electricity goes down in this part of the United States, what's impacted? What are the knock-on consequences? And how can we protect that? All of that works with the private sector, but it's also an important input into what you Absolutely. do. And, and you said it, I'm going to say just a little bit differently. One of the most controversial things that we have to deal with as a nation is a sense of triage. What is most important? We can't protect everything the same way. We can create a sense of broad hygiene. Yeah, I get that. And even at an individual level. But at a corporate level, can't protect everything the same way. I'm CEO of Southern Company. We get hit three million times a day. Not everything we do is mission critical, but some things damn well are. And we better protect those as well as we can. Thank you for tuning in. You can follow HSDF the podcast on every major podcast platform. Visit hsdf.org to learn more about the Homeland Security and Defense Forum and HSDF the podcast. HSDF the podcast.